Hello and welcome to the ACA Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting. If you would like to attend this meeting live, go to adultchildren.org and click on online meetings and then scroll down to find Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. I'm happy to introduce our speaker tonight, Howie from St. Petersburg, Florida. Thank you for having me. I'm Howie. Hello, Howie. It, it's, it's interesting. When I was when I was little, I couldn't I couldn't wait until I could stay up late. Now that I'm close to my ninth decade, uh, staying up late is a little of a struggle. I took a nap though, so I'm I'm good. I'm good to go. You know, in the when we read the solutions, it talks about from hurting to healing to helping. And that's part of my story. Uh, today in our, in our step group, we were reading the fourth step, and I like this also. It was one of the, the paragraphs. This is what happened to me. This is my story. There's another way to live. In, in conjunction to both of those, I really like that because this is pretty much of my story. Other part of my story, too, that I love to share, um, I'm going to give people the history of ACA how it was like being before ACA, during ACA in the 80s and the 90s. And of course, fast forward. So we'll start with me growing up in the projects at the east side of Cleveland. Um, <clears throat> my earliest memory was my dad was in the army. So this was what, 1943, 44. And um, we stayed, my mom and I stayed with, I believe, her father. And I can remember having the crib being sort of like in the living room, dining room area in the olden days where they had those big, big swinging doors back and forth going to the kitchen and dining area. And, and I remember that. There was something also, what I love about ACA going to meetings is that somebody will say something one day at a meeting and it'll trigger my, my past. And somebody had shared one time about feeling like claustrophobic, being, being squeezed in. And I had forgot about this all these years. And I went back and I realized it was called, a, I believe it was called a snuggle ducky. It's sort of like a papoose thing where the baby's arms and everything and legs is all wrapped inside so the baby doesn't scratch their eyes at all. And that's what my mom had. And I have found that, and I believe that what happened to me as, a, as an infant and as a child stays within my body. And I love, maybe I can mention a couple of books as, as I'm talking to what, what I've learned about myself. And then on cellular level, that, that feeling has stayed inside, so that claustrophobic feeling being squeezed in. And that's part of the little bit of the PTSD. My mom carried me for two and a half years. I didn't walk. You know, I was a fat little kid. My mom carried me wherever, wherever she went. So I started to learn to walk from about maybe two and a half to maybe two years and three quarters. My dad came home. Um, a couple years later, my middle brother was born, and I can remember looking out the window, still in the projects, I believe we were on the second floor, and seeing my mom come home. 
And that's when things started to happen where I was the cute little boy. And then all of a sudden now I had to share the cuteness with my, with my brother. My dad was, became a policeman when he came back from the army, of course. <clears throat> he became a policeman and he would walk a beat in downtown Cleveland. So as my brother and I got a little bit older, um, things became a little more hectic. My dad would see things on the beat that he walked. And in those days, they didn't have professional help or counselors. And my dad was not a drinker at all. So he came home with the environment that, that he hung around with during the daytime. It was a rough area. Rough, it was in downtown Cleveland. It was a real rough area over there back in the 50s. And he would let out his anguish, particularly me. I'm the oldest one. And there's several things that I, that I remember. It's just like if it was yesterday. Um, I was very poor in math. My dad, I, I called him. He was he was a frustrated CPA. He loved numbers. He loved math. And then here I am, probably in the fourth or fifth grade. And I was still little. My dad was big. He was like six two, maybe two twenty, two thirty pounds. And he'd hover over me, and he would get frustrated at me. And this would be late at night. And the kitchen light would be off, and there'd be a little night light by the stove, and that's the way I did my homework. And if I didn't do it right, there'd be screaming and yelling. I became a rageaholic. And if I didn't understand anything, um, he would call me these various different names that stayed with me. So my critical parents started kicking in probably when I was about eight or nine years old. Now, during that time, and, and this is just one of my theories of, of myself and ACA, I believe that if something happens to us, whoever us is, a traumatic event, that's when we stop growing emotionally. And that's what happened with me at eight years old. Um, my dad was having an affair with the lady next door, kind of dumb, next door. And my mother found out. And that's when the trauma started. And that's where I stopped growing emotionally. I stopped feeling. So I found that um, I, I found two drugs of choices. One, if I stayed sad, it would comfort me. The other one, which still continues today, which I will share as we go further down the road, is control. I found that if I can control my surroundings, an example would be my brother and I lived upstairs on the second floor in like a dorm area, and there were twin beds, one on one side of the room and the other side of the room, and my dad had built these shelves, and, and I could put my little, how old I am, the little metal tin soldiers and a little old AM radio, and that was my comfort zone. That I could control that area. There wasn't any chaos in my life, and there wasn't any fear. So I became addicted to control. If I can control my surroundings, I know I will be okay. If I can control my brother, that's even better. Then I don't have to worry about him scaring me at night or other different things. So being the oldest of the two boys at that time, my youngest brother came around 11 years later. So it was just the two of us. Um, I became the superhero. 
I'm, I'm the good little boy that stands there as my father yells and screams at me and calls me names because I didn't do whatever. And if he got really upset at me, um, he would beat me. And he would have this police belt. And I, I, I remember as a little guy shaking in my boots when he would come home in his uniform and he would take his police belt off with his holster. And I thought I would get beaten with that. In school, which was the opposite, in school I was the mascot. I was the clown. I was the jokester. Totally, totally intimidated, especially by the opposite sex. Would not talk, but I would joke and I would, and I would uh, make, make fun and um, laugh. Terrified to ask for help. Terrified to raise my hand because I didn't want to look stupid. This is what I was taught at home. You don't ask questions. You can come up with your own. You don't trust. It's a, it's a terrible world out there. You don't trust. Your dad was a policeman. You don't talk about what's happening in our family. And of course, the feeling, um, sadness was my drug of choice. God forbid if I got angry, my dad, that would even make it even worse. Now, on the other side is my mom. So my dad was abusive overtly. And I found through the years that it's not the physical scars that stay. It's the emotional, it's the verbal scars that stay. That creates this critical voice, critical parent. With my mom, it was different. My mom was this delicate little flower that would fall apart all the time. And it was my job to rescue her. Because if she was in her bedroom crying, and I remember as a little guy in, in the little hallway that we had between the two bedrooms and the bathroom downstairs, what's the matter, mom? What's the matter, mom? What's the matter, mom? And if I couldn't get her to stop crying, when my dad came home, what did you do? I would get beaten, or I'd be called a name. And my mother was very narcissistic. It was all about her, very melodramatic. So the abuse that I received from her was covertly, was the, the sneaky little thing. You know, it's interesting, um, my path in ACA has opened up so many, so many doors. I thought that I had huge, huge issues with my dad, and I did. And I went to therapy for this, kept coming to meetings. And somebody had said one day at a meeting, they talked about their mother, and I went, holy mackerel. I haven't even focused on my mom because hers was covertly, was a little sneaky way. My dad was just blatant, it was out there. So eventually I needed to work on that. And um, I started picking up on my chemicals, started smoking at, at 10, it's part of my story. I went to Ohio State, barely made it to get to Ohio State, graduate from high school. 
and I learned how to drink very professionally. We flunked out the year later. And through a blind date, I, I met this woman. And this is what, I was 18, 18, almost 19. Her name is Sharon. She has since passed away. And um, she had some issues, some mental issues. And I said, you know what? I said, I need to leave my family. Come with me. I'm going to join the Navy. Grab your teddy bear. I can take care of you. Now, my role models of, of what a relationship was, my mom and dad. My dad was a rescuer. My mom was a victim. This is the dance they did. He put her on, on a pedestal. So all these things that I learned about the R word, which is relationship, was for my mom and dad. And this was normal. I had, I had no idea this is, this is normal. So we swap, we get married, I joined the Navy, have three kids. I'm never going to be like my father. I'm never going to be my father. I am, I am not going to abuse my children. I might patch them in the tush a little bit. I'm not going to abuse them like, like I was physically abused. I'm not going to leave the scars. I'm not going to yell and scream at them. My dad was not emotionally available. My dad was not a good listener. My mom was not emotionally available with her own stuff, and she wasn't a good listener. So as much as I didn't want to be mostly like my dad, I became like my dad because I wasn't emotionally available. I didn't have time to listen. I played sports. I have three kids, a boy, girl, and boy. And, and the boys you know, would play basketball, sports, stuff like that. There wasn't anything, there wasn't a connection. I wasn't emotionally available for them. As the years go by, um, an incident came up. I think we were, my parents, we had moved to Florida from Cleveland, Ohio, moved to Florida. And um, we were visiting my dad's cousin and, and my mom and dad were there also. Um, back a little bit in the Navy, I was a Navy corpsman and I spent three years with the Navy and two years with the Marines. So I went to Vietnam, came back with a lot of stuff. So the conversation was, I remember with the kids, we were like in the dining room of this, this, my dad's cousin's house. And my dad called me a name of, he called me very stupid. He called me another name. It seems to be recorded. I don't want to say it. That I went, that I joined the Navy. And I remember standing there, I probably was like maybe in my late 30s, with my three kids and, and my wife at that time. And they're looking at me like, did you hear what your father just said? Did you hear what, what Papa just said? And I ignored it. On the way home, I start getting verbally abused by uh, my wife. And again, with ACA, I learned that I go to what I know. And I end up marrying my father. Which is interesting because she ended up marrying her mother. I had a lot of her attributes of, of her mother. I like things clean and neat. Or there's my control again. And that's what she had. 
So what would happen is that when, when Sharon and I would have these confrontations, arguments, fights, whatever you want to call it, verbal spats, I was looking, instead of her, I could see my dad as a critical parent, and she could see me as her mom, the critical parent. And this went on for years. Um, still doing chemicals, of course. Got to kill that pain. Got to kill that pain. I don't know what I'm feeling. All I know is that I'm feeling sad. I don't want to kill myself. I'm feeling sad, so I need to kill the pain. So, and one of the questions is, have I, I think it was step one, um, have I hit an ACA bottom? Have I totally surrendered? And this is part of the story. Um, I had stopped using all chemicals in 1982. Yeah, 82. And my wife and I went out New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1983. So proud that this is the second New Year's Eve I didn't drink at all. And uh, my oldest son, David, was 20, then 19, Jackie 16, and Mark 14. We come home, whatever, 1, 1.30 in the morning, something like that. And the two boys are home, and my daughter is not home. This is in Orlando, Florida. And she's gone. And they found her, the police found her about three days later in a crack house. And so the psychologist that we had gone to says that she's a drug addict, she needs to be into treatment. So we put her into a, a treatment program called The Grove in Orlando. Going to Narnon, learning about myself. Think, I think, I think, I think. And about maybe a two months later, the two therapists that were there at the Grove had come, just come back from a weekend workshop on something called, something like codependency, ACOA, wherever that stands. And she has this in the family night and she puts on a chalkboard, a circle. And outside of the circle talks about uh, materialistic stuff. Nice car, nice house, professional. Yeah, yep, yep, that's me. Um, bells and whistles, I got that. Inside the circle is the words low self-esteem, low self-worth, an attitude, a lost little child. And of course, being, being me, I think that they're doing this, this is just all about me. And then she said, one of them said, and usually guys in their 40s, this is the kicker, um, we have a heart attack or they'll die. And I was 40, 41. And I did a quick inventory of guys that I knew that were like that, they were like me, and they had heart attacks and a couple guys died. So afterwards, I go, what do I do? What do I do? Well, there happened to be a new treatment center opening up in Largo, Florida, which is just a little north of uh, Clearwater, Tampa area. And they're using one of the floors from an osteopathic hospital to do uh, chemical codependency, but focusing on inner child work. I said, okay. Now, meanwhile, I had won a contest. I had thought about this a few years ago. I won a contest 
I could have gone instead of the 20-day treatment program. I chose to go because that's when I saw that that was the reality. That was kicking me in the face. My behavior had not changed. I thought when I stopped using my chemicals, whatever it was, it was nicotine, doesn't make a difference, you name it, doesn't make a difference. When I stopped doing that, I thought everything would be great. And my behavior was still there. Um, the critical parent was just there in quadraphonic. In fact, it even got louder. Amazing. When I stopped using it, it got louder. So I go to this 20-day treatment program, and I start to learn about myself. I start to focus on me. Because see, like my dad said that um, your wife comes first, then your children comes first, and whatever is left, then that's what's for you. Oh, okay, okay. So my wife came first, and my three kids came next, and, and whatever was left, whatever crumbs was left, that was for me. And that's why I went through being the superhero, being the caretaker, being the rescuer, being the enabler. I come last because that's normal. So here I started getting these tools. I started getting these tools on um, words I never heard of, like choices, boundaries. What's a boundary? I know states have boundaries, but what's a boundary? Learn how to communicate. Then they give me this piece of paper that has the um, 14 characteristics laundry list. Now, we're going back to the 80s, so the word dysfunction was not even, maybe in a dictionary, but, it, but it's not in, within the ACOA uh, lingo. And the first thing I go, hey, yeah, but my dad's not an alcoholic. It says right here, you know, an alcoholic family, but I'm not an alcoholic. So one of them says, okay, I want you to sit down over there. I want you to take a look at the laundress and check off what you think. Oh, interesting. Criticism, 10 out of 10. Um, angry people, 10 out of 10. Feeling guilty when I stand up for myself, 10 out of 10. And a couple of them were like maybe a 7 out of 10, maybe a couple, 8 out of 10. Now what do I do? What do I do? Hey, this is the laundress. This is the stuff that we're going to work with. And, and I stayed there for the 28 days. And um, I'm a huge, huge believer, and this is part of my story, because I've also gone to therapy also. I believe the combination of therapy and ACA meetings and steps is a great combination. My belief is you go to therapy, that's great. Go to ACA, it really even kicks it, start even better. Going to ACA is great. Going to therapy is even better. The combination just is a win-win for me. So I, I get to um, finish it at 28 days, and I'm told, trust the process, okay? Remember where you came from, okay? Use the tools that you've learned in the other 12-step programs, okay? So I have my packages, and I have, I have all the different things. I have my pieces of paper, and I get... To back to Orlando. Uh, Meanwhile, I was going to NA too, all this time. And I, I catch up with my sponsor, and I and I walk into the room of the meeting of I think it was a Thursday night meeting in downtown Orlando, and I stop there. See, now I have the tools, I have this information about ACA, and and and, and I, I'm learning about these different words and boundaries and feelings and communication and. Um, choices. 
And they said, what's the matter? I says, I'm seeing people in different, different uh, vision, different glasses. And I contacted the people back, it was called Suncoast Hospital at that time. I said, there's not, a, there's not an ACA meeting in Orlando. There's nothing in Central Florida. Start one. How? Start one. Build it and they will come. Coffee pot, just like doing the other 12 step thing. Resentment, another person. You got a meeting. During that time, so this is back in this night, uh, the end of 84, beginning of 85, uh, there's a woman named Carlin Shearer, and she has since passed away. She's another one of my angels. And she opens a place called the Hope Institute, dealing with ACO issues, inner child work, psychodrama. And I went for individual counseling, and I went to group counseling. During that time, there were two other guys and three women, and one couple were married. So there were six of us going to our other 12-step meetings and still meeting there. And we decided, you know, we see each other in group therapy. Let's start our own ACA meeting. So we started. Started. Because I needed a place to go with people that are willing to follow the path of recovery that pertains to adult children and alcoholics. I love the guys in the other NA meetings that I've gone to. Um, I'm just not able to get what I need there. And that's been, that's been pretty common through, through the years that, I, that I've been going to meetings. I, I get what I need at the ACA meetings. <clears throat> so a year later, um, I've made several geographical cures. And um, I, if I'm going to do a geographical cure, I pick the best of the best where I live. So I live in some really neat places. So I move up to Cape Cod. Love brought me up there. Because at that time, uh, the mother of my children, Sharon, uh, we had separated. She was still using, and I chose not to. When I made that move and got myself heavy into 12-step recovery, mostly with ACA, uh, my kids fell apart. Because their enabler wasn't there. Their rescuer wasn't there. And for me, what I needed to do, and which is a huge thing for a lot of people in ACA, is to cut that cord. And the first time in my life, so I probably was a year later, so I, at 42 years old, I'm taking care of Howie. Cut the cord. And um, if they choose not to have anything to do with me, and that's been, what, 37, 38 years, and they... They, that's what they chose. They chose not to have anything to do with me. And there's sadness with this. This is something that I need to work through with it, which I do. I've gone through the grieving process. I've made my amends with them through my ACA steps. And that's their choice. So for me, I need to find out who I am. So I'm up in Cape Cod, and um, there's not a meeting. And I remember that voice back there in Suncoast Hospital. Start a meeting. I started a meeting. Didn't have any paperwork. Um, my dear friend was on, on um, this talk a few weeks ago, and he showed people the little booklet that they had out of Las Vegas. I think he was talking about 1987, 1988. So in 85, because there wasn't anything ACA, I mean, 
beautiful. We, we have a book. We have step books today. We have an affirmation book. We have another laundry list book. And we have another laundry to the laundry to the laundry book. You know, we have all this stuff. In the olden, olden days, there wasn't anything. So I put together this little booklet. And on, on the front cover, I seen a poster. So I made a copy of it and said, somebody uh, print for me. On the bottom of the poster has a little caterpillar and it's crawling on the bottom and it's saying, who me change? And then on the top of the poster was this beautiful butterfly. And that was like the outside cover of um, the little booklet. I had put the laundry list in it. And I can't remember whether the solutions was written in, at that time. I put in the um, ACA 12 steps. You put in something else. And then I found a poem on risk taking. And this is the material that I used for the years. For the years. So from the hurting of growing up in a, in a chaotic, abusive family to the healing that going through treatment, going through therapy, working the steps. I love these step groups. I absolutely love these step groups. Um, we've been back in St. Pete think like about 10, 11 years now, and we started doing step groups as opposed to doing a one-on-one -on -one like I've done with my other 12-step uh, sponsors with ACA. I love it because the groups that, I, that I've been involved with through the years is I get to hear how people are answering their question in a different way of the answer, in a different way they look at it, and that helps me understand me because now I can get something that I had not thought about. Before the workbook came around, it really was a crapshoot in how we did the steps. We did the steps as best as possible. And they were, again, one and one. And for a lot of us, it was the blind leading the blind because we all were growing. To be, to, for me to... Um, where I want to go with this. For me to continue having that healing process, I need to dig through the pain. I need to go back and revisit my past, not get stuck back there. I need to go back and revisit. I need to see, and, and God bless the, the, the step workbook, because these are questions that I would never would have asked myself before they came up with the step book, and particularly the four step. So where I can write down the information that was given to me, i.e. my parents' behavior, and even teachers, too, of the message that I received and how I transfer it to my own behavior to the present. And of course, the sixth and seventh step gives me this opportunity to take a look at this stuff, whatever stuff it is. And the more I work on this, the more that I'm aware of this. And I have a very dear friend of mine wrote a book many years ago called Awakening in Time. And I believe that. I believe when I hit that bottom, when my daughter ran away, that woke me up for me to go to another level. 
Now go back a little bit. I want to talk about because this is for me, this has been so, so important. Being a great chameleon, being a great people pleaser in my other 12 step program, I would tell my sponsors, like, okay, um, <laughs> get a little signs over here to do you understand the second and third step? Oh, yeah, I got it. It's cool. I got a high power. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. I, I can dig it. And inside, there's this voice saying, baloney, baloney. When you grew up, where was this Jewish God? Because I was Jewish. Where was this Jewish God when your dad was beating the hell out of you? And your mother was crying, and you couldn't stop her from crying, and you couldn't rescue her, and something happened to your brother, and you were in charge of it, blah, 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 blah. Then, I'll even add more information. Where were you when I was in Vietnam? And the stuff that I saw there. So I would people please. I come to ACA, and I believe it's the last exercise in, in um, step two, is I get the opportunity, little Howie, little eight-year-old Howie, has the opportunity to find out what he wants as his higher power. Not what ACA says, not what other sponsors have said, what is comfortable for him. And my first time, and I love this because it's constantly changing, constantly changing. So my, my first venture was finding a higher power was a man, a very gentle soul. So when I fell and I tripped, and got a boo-boo, this hand would come down and pick me up gently and hold me. That was the God of my understanding. That was my higher power. That helped me. That image helped me go through the steps. Now, as years gone by, that image has changed to be a female. As years gone by, that, that has changed to a non-entity. And it doesn't make a difference what it, what it is. For me, this is who my higher power is. This gives me the strength. This gives me the ability that when that critical parent comes out, I'll give you a great example. I think some people from Arizona. A couple of years ago, um, at Mingus Mountain, I was asked to, to um, talk. And at that time, it was, it was in October. And that's my... That's my all birthday. I do my NAACA belly button birthday all at the same time. It's easier for this old man to remember everything. And I was getting my 35-year medallion. And it was that Friday night when everybody showed up and they were giving some medallions out. And the um, chairperson calls my name you know, for the 35-year medallion two years ago. And as <laughs> I'm still working on myself, I'm still working on myself. As I'm walking up there with those people, I hear this voice. They must think you're a, you are dumb. They must think you're slow. 35 years and you haven't gotten a goddamn thing out of ACA. And I hear that voice and I, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. So what I've learned through the years is that that voice is not going to go away. And, and sometimes the voice is not even my dad's anymore. It could be society's voice. I don't know. So I've learned that that loving parent, the God of my understanding, my little kid's understanding, I can say, you know what? It's chill. I don't, I, I don't need that. I don't need that. 
I don't need that dictating my life. So from way, whoops, give me, from, from where I first came into the rooms with that voice, it was quadraphonic. It was just pushing everything all over the place. The importance of me going through the healing process, the importance for me to find out who I am has really quieted that voice. The steps have shown me the spiritual aspect of ACA. Do I follow it 100%? No, no. I'm like a lot of people. I'm a hard learner. So I'll test the water. God, I don't need you right now. I'm cool. I can do it my way. And then I find out, you know, that I trip and fall. Do I pick myself up? I come to meetings. And, and this is part of the, the, the hurting, the healing, the helping. And a lot of the people here know I, I, I love being of service. I was given a gift in 1984. I was given that gift, and I continue being part. I'm very passionate with ACA. I believe in service. I'm there as best as possible. In the olden days when we had live meetings, sometimes you know, people would come in, I would just say smile and welcome. And they would remember that. I don't have to say ACA, and I don't have to do the commercial for ACA. I can just say, hi, welcome. And people remember that. They feel comfortable. My hand, I was taught in the other program, if somebody reaches out, my hand needs to go out. And I can do that and I can find, and this is, and I'll quiet because before they pull me out again, um, find balance in ACA is that I have found a form of balance, being a Libra, I'm going to strive for balance, is that physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I know when I, and I'm taking on too much, because I used to spin a lot of place because this is the way, the way I was raised. And I don't need to do that. I don't need to be people-pleasing. If it does come up, I need to ask help with that. Coming to Zoom meetings has really shown me where my character defects come up. And Zoom meetings are a little tough because it's not the intimacy, which I absolutely love intimacy. There's closeness, yet there's not closeness. So where I'm at with my program is I've had this past, well, pretty much like what this says. This is what happened to me. This is my story. There is another way to live. I have the tools. I have a new vocabulary. I understand the words. My little guy has his own God of his understanding. I have people that love me. I've learned to love myself. I've learned to speak from my heart as best as possible. And my little guy is not afraid. And when he is, he asks me to help him. And we walk together. So before they pull me off the podium, I'll just say I love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Howie. 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 Love you, Howie. Love you. Thank you, Howie.